So if you would, turn to your Bibles to Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. Uh, we'll be starting in chapter 2, verse 17, but we're going to go through uh, chapter 3, verse 6. Uh, when I was growing up, I had a fantasy about what it was to be a, an adult. I was like, man, I can't wait to uh, get out of school. Uh, I was like 10 at this age. I'm like, I'm going to graduate early because I was young for my age, so I'm going to be 17 when I graduate high school. I'm going to uh, get a job right away, like grow my own business, uh, make a lot of money. I'm going to get married like within the first six months of being 18. I don't know why I thought that was going to be the case, but well, I didn't understand what it was to be an adult. And as life progressed, uh, you can see that just the ways, the different choices, um, the responsibilities is much different than what I thought as a kid. And so now I am uh, on my second degree, who I didn't think I was going to college at all. Um, I'm in ministry, and then I have not even dated anybody. So I'm like just failing in all of my aspirations as a 10-year-old. But I think that not understanding something is what the people of Israel were experiencing in today's text. So are you there in chapter 2, verse 17? We'll start there and read through our text tonight. It starts, You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, How have we wearied Him? By saying, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and He delights in them. Or by asking, Where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and He will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. O Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Would you speak to us through it and uh, just speak to our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So first of all, uh, back in verse 17 of chapter 2, um, Israel is asking God some questions. So if you remember, the book of Malachi is kind of grouped up into these different these different conversations between Israel and God. And so this is the next little segment there. And uh, so they're, it says they are wearying the Lord with their words. And it's kind of like if you're going on a road trip with some kids and the moment you leave town, it's like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And then it's, it just goes on for hours. You're like, my goodness, can you please stop? Um, so that's kind of like the idea of being wearying, of them were wearying the Lord with their question. And what was that question? I think uh, the second one there, where is the God of justice, is the one that was really, that's what they were asking God over and over, where is the God of justice? 
Israel was a country that just was surrounded by so many bigger countries and empires. It was kind of thrown around uh, from empire to empire throughout its existence. And um, so they're looking around. They're seeing these people who are hating God, who are not following God. And they're like, why are they successful? Why, why are they controlling us? Why are they doing so well? And then they're looking at themselves and being like, and we're kind of uh, the butt of everybody's joke. We're, we're just not doing well at all. And so they're looking around. They're like, if God is all-powerful, if he hates evil, and he can take it away, if he's all good, which means he despises evil and doesn't want evil to exist, then why is he not dealing with evil? Why is evil still around? I think that's the question that they're asking. But we have to remember who's asking the question. And that's the Israelites. And if you remember back from chapter 1, the Israelites at this point in time that Malachi is writing to, there are people who are... um, they, they're doing all the things. They're, they're offering the sacrifices. They're giving their tithes. In today's terms, they're going to church every week. They're serving somewhere. They're giving out of their, their paycheck. They're, um, they're in a small group. They're doing all these things. They're checking all the right boxes. But in their heart, they're not seeking after God, which is the point of all of these activities. So their heart was not pursuing God. So when they ask this question, it's not a, it's not in the uh, sense of like, why are you not dealing with evil, God? It's like, we're doing all the right things. Why aren't we getting the blessings of God? Um, it's like a kid playing a game. Um, they were like, man, all those people, those are evil. If you're playing Monopoly or whatever, uh, the, the other person takes too many cards, you're like, bro, you can't take that many cards. That's, that's cheating. And they're like, well, that's what you did last round. Like, so they're, they're looking at the nations around them and seeing the evil that's in them and failing to realize the evil that's in their own heart. And so they were trying to be near to God by doing what he asked, but they were not actually committed to God because their heart was not after him. And so I want to pause real quick because this question of if God is all-powerful and all-good, then why is he not dealing with evil is a legitimate question. It's a question that many of us have had to wrestle through going through difficult times. And we, it is, we have to wrestle with it. Um, for instance, if you're at a job and you're just working your tail off, giving all the glory to God, and you're putting in effort, and then this lazy bum gets a promotion, you're like, God, why, why did they get the promotion? If you're at school and uh, you know that someone else is cheating on the exam and they get a decent grade and then you're putting in all your effort, and you can't seem to get a grade to pass, like, God, why, why is evil winning? Why is good not? I also think of uh, a couple in our church, Sarah and Joel North, they uh, had their first baby last year, and um, there's just a lot of complications with, with the birthing process, and so for the next several months, they were dealing with all these check-ins, and at the hospital, they had to go away for a month uh, just to get these different treatments, and through it all, they're like, God, like we're seeking after you. We're following you. Like, why is this happening to us? Why, are, why is this evil? Why is this pain happening? And um, so if that's you, if that's you tonight, like, don't give up hope. Seek after God. 
First Peter 5 says, and it says to cast your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. I think uh, as Sarah and Joel worked through this process, um, one of the things that they did well was they did see God in the midst of it. They saw him in prayer. They saw him in the word. They saw him with their small group. And through it, they, they're coming through the other side just with a stronger faith in God because they saw him in the midst of his trials. And so if you're going through that trial in your life, stay focused on the Lord. Stay connected to him in prayer and the word. Share your struggles with your small group and with Christians who are going to help you see God in the midst of your pain. But back to the text in which the, uh, the heart behind this question is not that, but one of why aren't we getting the blessings of God when we're doing the external commands of God. I think Israel didn't understand their sin problem. They didn't have a good idea of what justice was. And so I've actually got a picture of justice back there. That is Lady Justice. And if you go to Washington, D.C., uh, sitting outside the Supreme Court, um, there she stands. And so there's a couple of things to note um, from Lady Justice there. You notice that she's holding the scales in her hand. And so what's happening there is like, so justice is dealing with crimes, dealing with offenses. So um, crime goes on the scales, it tips, there must be a penalty to balance that out. I rob a bank $100, I need to pay back the bank $100. I murder someone, death penalty. The punishment must, must, must relate to the offense. And so there's this idea of justice, of balancing the scales. And then also, if you can notice, it's hard to see, but she's blindfolded, actually. It's very interesting, because justice, true justice, doesn't see who it is that's performing the act. It just judges the act. It doesn't matter who you are, if you rob a bank, you rob a bank, and you need to pay back the money. And then also, there's a sword there, because all offenses, all crimes, uh, require a penalty. And so justice has the authority to administer that penalty, whatever that looks like. And so what uh, Israel had the problem was, they're like, okay, there's all that evil over there in all those other countries and they failed to realize that. So they're like, yes, justice, come on, where's the God of justice? And so they're like, yes, justice, go over there, deal with them. So she does, and then she's like, okay, your turn. And they're like, whoa, 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 no. <laughs> not me, I'm, I'm good. Like, we're seeking after God here. But they're not. And so how does God respond to that? Thank you, Tate. Um, in the next verse, chapter uh, 3, verse 1, he says, Behold, I send my messenger. And I, he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? Israel expected a temporal savior. They expected someone to come in and uh, free them from their oppressors, and then they would you know, have a good life, I guess. But here, God is saying that he's coming in judgment. He's coming suddenly in judgment. And then he asks the question, who can endure? Who can stand when God comes in judgment? 
The truth is none of us can because we all are sinners. We all have rebelled against God. And that is not encouraging news because if we're all stuck in sin and if we're all stuck in rebellion and God's bound and determined to come and establish justice, we all have a penalty to pay. But he says in that first line that he's sending a messenger and who will prepare the way before him. And so we learn in Matthew chapter 3 that this messenger was John the Baptist. And I think if we look at him and his ministry, we get to learn about what the point of this was. Matthew 3.1, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judah, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his path. So John, John's message was repent. Was repent mean? It means to turn away from whatever it is you were doing. You're in sin, you're in rebellion, turn away from that, turn toward something else. And so he's preparing, he's like, judgment is coming, stop your sins, stop your rebellion, turn to the Lord. And Luke 1, 76 to 78 gives even more clarification, talking about John the Baptist. It says, and you will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God. What John was doing, he was telling people to turn away from sin and then turn towards Jesus. Jesus was the coming uh, of God that was prophesied that he was preparing the way for. He's telling them, judgment is coming. Turn from your sins and turn toward Jesus because Jesus is the answer. Jesus is where you can find salvation. Jesus is where you can find forgiveness. And this is so amazing because God didn't have to do this. God is a just God and he could just as well slaughter everybody. But he didn't. He showed his tender mercy because he wants a relationship with people. 1 Timothy 2 says he desires all people to be saved. So he made a way through Jesus. Yet God's promise to come in judgment still remains. And it's so emphatic, these different words. Behold, uh, just like, look, see, this is happening. Suddenly he will come. Behold, he is coming. It's a promise. And when God makes a promise, it's going to happen. You can bank on it. And so God is coming in judgment. It's going to be sudden. We don't know when it's going to happen. Uh, Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour of his return. But this second coming uh, is when God will come in justice and get rid of evil once and for all. And so when that happens, who can stand? Who is righteous before the Lord? So you might be asking, so why doesn't God just let everyone come into heaven if he thinks if he desires all to be saved. It's because he must uphold his judge, justice. A judge who lets every criminal go free is no judge at all, but an imposter. God had to pay the penalty for us in order to be just. Romans 3.26 says, It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
So he had to uphold his justice by like, yes, I have to administer justice. I have to um, deal with the sins of all these people, but I want to make a way. And he did that through Jesus. He himself, God, became a man, lived the perfect life that we can't live, and became the sacrifice that has bought, paid the penalty for all of us. Have you, show of hands, who has been pulled over for speeding? Good number, and that's why I leave late so I don't have to run into you guys in traffic. Um, so a year and a half ago, I got pulled over. I, was, I work Saturday mornings. I'd be in super early, like 1.30. I woke up at 4.30, and I was like, oh my goodness. So I was just like in a panic. Like, I am so late for work. So I hop in my car, go to work. Uh, I haven't even left Ankeny, and then just like zoned in, like, what am I going to do, what am I going to do? I hear sirens and see the lights. I'm like, no, today of all days. So I pull over. Cop walks up. He's like, you know how fast you were going? I was like, no idea. And he goes, 52 and a 35. I was like, oh. He was like, you got something? You got a reason? I was like, I'm three hours late for work. He was like, oh. Well, I'll write you a ticket real fast. And I was like, thanks. Appreciate that. But this officer, he was a just officer. I had broken the law. I had... Uh, committed a crime, and so I had a penalty to pay, and that was the fine for speeding. Uh, I didn't learn my lesson. Two weeks later, I was driving to work. I was not late this time, and I got pulled over again. This time, 47 and 35, I was like making progress here. Uh, I also didn't have a current insurance card for some reason. <laughs> I was in a vehicle transition, so that was kind of weird. But this cop, he gave me a warning instead of a ticket, which I was thankful for. But if all a cop did was give you warnings for speeding, would the speeding ever actually decrease? The point of the penalty is to decrease speeding. And so he was actually unjust for giving me a warning, for letting me off the hook for my crime. And um, so what he could have done is he could have said, okay, I got to write you a speeding ticket because that's what the law requires of me. You sped, you get a speeding ticket. And then if he had pulled out his billfold and pulled out a 20, another 20, another 20, five and a 10, paid me $75 and said, all right, here you go. I did, I upheld my justice, but then I gave you the money to pay the penalty. And that's what God has done for us. He not only has held up the justice, he has said, you have fallen short. The scales are out of bounds, but through Jesus he has redeemed us. He has balanced the scales so that we can have a relationship with God. That way God is both just and the justifier. We deserve judgment. But God became man, took the penalty, and paid the price for us. So who can endure the day of his coming? Who will stand when he appears? Only those whose hope and faith in Christ as their Savior. Moving on to the rest of the chapter in verses 2 through 5, we learn of God's purifying work in our hearts. It says, For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. What is refining? Um, so back in the day, they had silver. I guess we still do today. But in order the process of purifying silver, they would have these metals, metal bars of iron 
different metals. They would have to heat it up. And in the process, it was called cupellation. They would burn off the impure metal and so that only the pure silver would remain. It required really hot temperatures, so they would have to heat up the metal to a really hot temperature, and then they would blast air on it. And that process separated the impure metal from the actual silver, and they could separate the two. Um, but what it took, it even says here, he will sit as a refiner. It takes focus, it takes patience, it takes care and intentionality, and that is what God is doing for us. He's like a refiner. He's slowly removing the impurities, the sin, the ugliness out of our life so that the pure, um, the pure uh, person, the holy person remains. And then this other example it uses is like fuller soap. A fuller was a person who cleans cloth, and so they would... Yeah, it's like a stain remover, I guess. And you use stain remover, clean the stain, and then you're left with a stainless cloth. And so that is what God is doing for us. It is a difficult process, right? Heating something up to extreme temperatures is painful. Hitting it with air, like at that temperature degrees, it is an extreme process. And so as God is working in each of our hearts, it's painful. It takes time. But he is slowly and slowly sanctifying us, making us more like Christ so that we can be presented before the Lord as holy. And as you see, as it goes on, um, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old. The result of this purifying process is that the, the, the offerings and the sacrifices that these people were once doing are now accepted because their heart was changed. The purifying process changed the heart and so that the offerings that they're checking off the boxes, they're now actually doing because they love the Lord. They have a pure heart, and that's what the purifying, refining process does. So as you go through trials that are sanctifying you, that are tough but are helping you grow in your walk with the Lord, don't complain about it but run to God because he's the one working in you. And so he's going to be the one who's going to help you get through it. You have to keep your eyes focused that the pain is to make you more holy and more pure, is rooting out the sin that stains your life. However, there is still the looming judgment day at the end of time because he says, I will be a swift witness against then he lays out all these different uh, evil actions, evil doers. And what's their common denominator? It says at the end, it says, they do not fear me. God is a swift witness. And what's a witness? It's someone who stands before the judge and says, I saw them commit this action. I saw them commit this offense. And God knows everything. He is patiently watching each and every person. And he knows every single thought every single action, both good and bad, and he knows the evil. And so when non-believers come before God, he's like, they, they're evil. They've rebelled against me. And, um, and so they do not fear God. They do not respect him. They disregard him. 
because they don't seek or love him. And so at the end of days, those that fear God and trust in him will be saved on the judgment day because God paid the penalty for them. They will be completely purified and presented to God. At that final day, all the impurities will be gone. All the sin will be removed. All the stains will be gone and will be left holy and completely righteous before God and we can have a perfect relationship with God. But for those that do not fear the Lord, those who do not regard or love him, for them is eternal death and suffering because that is the penalty for our sin against God. In the final verse, in verse 6, we see God's preserving work in us. It says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Israel thought God had changed. They thought that he was no longer uh, just and, and keeping his word. But it was not God who changed. It was Israel who had changed. They were the ones who had left the covenant. But God is patient. He's waiting his time because he desires all people to be saved. And he even calls back to the promises that he had promised to their forefathers. He says, O children of Jacob, uh, one of the first forefathers of Israel, we see that um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God promised to them, I will make you a great nation so that in you all the uh, people of the world can be blessed. And he kept that and fulfilled that. He promised long ago to be faithful, and he continues to do so. Because Israel had given God plenty of opportunities to wipe them out. I think of Exodus 32. Uh, it's the story of the golden calf. Israel had just come out of Egypt. They'd watched God do wonders and signs. He parted a whole ocean for them to walk through on dry land. They saw God at the top of the mountain. He spoke to them, gave them the Ten Commandments. And then Moses went up the mountain, receiving the covenant from God. And Israel, I was like, I haven't seen Moses in a few days. I guess he's not coming back. You know what we should do? We should build ourselves a statue and say, that's the God that brought us out of Egypt. After they had seen what God had done. And God's response to that, he was like, he threatened to destroy all of Israel. And Moses was like, God, your promise is to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are a faithful God. And so he did not destroy them. There was punishment, yes. But he did not completely destroy them as, he, as they deserved. And all throughout Israel's history, they're just continually rebellious to God, against God, but he never destroys them completely. He always preserves and saves a people. And so even now, in the midst of uh, Israel's rebellion and, and, and lack of following God, they're still not consumed. And so as you reflect on your life, because we all still struggle with sin, we all still have a sin nature because we're still in the process of being purified. Do not lose hope because it is our hope rests in God and he is faithful. He's going to see to it that you will remain faithful to the end. He's working in you. He's made a promise that he's going to keep you to the end. And if he did not give up on Israel, he will, he will not give up on you. So we come back to the question, 
Is God a God of justice? He is. He has promised He's coming back. We know He's coming back to judge evil once and for all and eradicate it from our lives and from the world. But His timing is perfect and He's waiting patiently for many to come to repentance. Because if He hadn't waited, then none of us would be here None of us would have a hope in Christ. None of us would have a hope of a relationship with God. We saw that God is the one who purifies us. He is continually working in us to make us more holy, rooting out the sin in our life. And he is the one that preserves us. He is the one that is going to keep us till the end. He is also the one who paid the penalty for our sin, that we can avoid the wrath of God because the penalty has already been paid for. So we must root ourselves in Christ. We must find our salvation and our continued growth in Him. So would you bow your heads tonight? Thankful for God and just His work for us. If you have not taken the step of repentance, if you have not turned from your sin and placed your complete hope and salvation from the wrath of God, would you do that tonight? Today is the day of salvation. No man knows the day or the hour when the time runs out and Christ comes back in judgment. If you are leaning on your own strength and works for salvation, repent, turn from that, run to Jesus. If you feel like you need to clean your act up before you come to Christ, stop it. God knows and loves you despite your sin. When you run to Jesus, he will begin that purifying process of removing that sin from you. But you can't do it on your own. Christ is our only hope. He paid the penalty. So if you have yet to believe in Jesus as your Savior, would you do that tonight? And if you are a believer, meaning you have turned from your sins and surrendered to Christ, what is it that you need to surrender to the Lord? What sin is it that God is working on purifying out of you right now? We continue to struggle with thoughts. We continue to struggle with actions, but do not lose hope. God is going to see it that you will remain faithful and persevere to the end. John 10, 29 says, My Father is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. You have hope. So never stop pursuing Christ, because in seeking Him that we find the strength to keep fighting every day. The gospel gives freedom of sin, and that's just not, for, just not just for the new believer, but it is for you as you continue day after day repenting and bringing your sin before the Lord. So take a few moments and just work it out with the Lord. Lord, we thank you 
that you are a just God. You don't look the other way when evil comes, but you've promised to deal with it. Lord, when we look around and see just all the evil um, in this world and surrounds us, God, we look to you and know that you're going to deal with it in the end days, Lord, when you come to judge the earth. Lord, the scary thing about that is that if you're going to deal with evil, you have to deal with the evil in our own hearts. So would you do a work in our hearts, Lord? And those that don't know you, would you bring them to a saving faith and knowledge of you, God? May they put their hope and faith in Jesus as who paid the penalty so that you can still be just, you still care for us, and you still can have a relationship with us, God. Lord, for the believers here, Lord, would you just work in our hearts, rooting out the evil, rooting out the sin that still plagues us, Lord, because through the cross there is freedom, and there there is freedom from sin. We're no longer bound by those chains, So would you continue to deal with that part, those parts inside of us, God? We trust you because it is only because of you that we have any hope, Lord. Our sin and our rebellion separate us from you, but you've done all the work in bringing us back. just thank you for your work in our lives, God. May we just be devoted more and more to you every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.